At the age of 27, the French reformer John Calvin was on a journey to Strasbourg when a local war forced him to take a detour through a city called Geneva. His intention was just to stay one night in the city. But a pastor in the town, a man by the name of William Farrell, heard that the great man and author of the Institutes was in town, and Farrell made it his goal to persuade Calvin to join him in working for the gospel in Geneva. But Calvin was not interested. You see, Geneva was a place in turmoil, and not a particularly safe place to be as a reformer, and Calvin's heart was set on a life of, well, peaceful study in Strasbourg. But Farrell was a pretty insistent kind of guy, and he wouldn't take no for an answer when they met and talked. When at last Calvin pleaded, well, his own relative inexperience and perhaps an unsuitability for the role and uh, the need of further study, Calvin rose from his chair, stretched himself up to his full height, and declared, may God curse your studies. If now in her time of need, you refuse, you refuse to lend your aid to his church. Wow, what a, what a striking statement. May God curse your studies. Uh, what Calvin said later was that he had been struck with terror. Because in Pharaoh's thunderous voice, he heard the call of God on his life. There and then he gave way and agreed to stay in Geneva. Perhaps the key lesson for us in this short series, this four talks in the book of Jonah, is that even we, as God's people, can be remarkably resistant, in fact downright stubborn, in refusing the call of God on our lives. Uh, We like being Christian. I I hope you do. There was some great singing and praise there as we sang to God's praise. Uh, We enjoy coming to church, being away on a weekend away with God's family here. It reminds us, doesn't it? It gives us a little bit of a a foretaste of what glory is going to be like. And yet we can look forward to all of that and yet find strangely, strangely, little perhaps even no desire to take the same good news to our city and to the world. Don't you find that a little bit odd, that uh, strange contradiction in our characters? We love the Lord Jesus. We love to sing his praise of our salvation. We love being with and yet little or no desire to be people on mission. What Jonah learned in chapters 1 and 2 was that something was necessary to turn his no into a go. To turn it into a yes. And it was nothing less than a renewal in his heart. A rediscovery of grace for himself personally. To just be amazed again at how undeserving he was of God's grace. And just to be staggered that God is a God who is a forgiving God. The Apostle Peter says at the end of his letter, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and that's 
for you and for me, isn't it? That's a word to Christians. Grow. Growing in grace is what you need and it's what I need if we're to live and to serve God together. So whether you're a reformer like John Calvin or whether you're the prophet Jonah, when mission takes you to, well, places you don't want to go to or perhaps people you don't want to take it to, well, it's then going to be a decision of the heart to obey, isn't it? And it's that, when we, that is when we need God's grace at work to turn our reluctant no's into a yes, I will go. Only as we grow in grace do we find the resources, the, the fuel in the engine that allow us to do what we wouldn't do and maybe go where we would never imagine we would go uh, with the gospel of Jesus And so as we start Jonah chapter 3, we discover Jonah is a changed man. Uh, You'll know that the theme of uh, chapters 1 and 2, perhaps yesterday, is that grace forgotten endangers our mission. When a church loses sight of grace, uh, it quickly forgets the mission that God has sent it on. And Jonah is a man who has forgotten just how extraordinarily generous God has been to him. And it's endangering his mission, because he's saying no to God. And then in chapter 3, we begin to discover that grace rediscovered equips and energises us for mission. And look how gracious God is to Jonah at the beginning of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. See, as a man who stumbled and fell, A man who risked and in one sense ruined his own reputation as a prophet of God. And yet God restores him. He doesn't just save and spare his life. But he actually restores him to the mission that God has given to him. It's as if God is saying to Jonah, shall we try again? Shall we we take a second look? And do you notice that the words of chapter 3 that God gives to Jonah are almost identical to the words of chapter 1, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Almost identical. God is a God of second chances. That's the surprising fact of grace, isn't it? God doesn't give up on his people. And all the way through the scriptures we find time and again men of God who've stumbled, maybe a king like David who committed adultery and murder, or an an apostle like Peter, who denies that he even knows the Lord Jesus. And yet, time and again, God picks up his people and says, should we try again? How good is God to people like you and me? Uh, God is a God of second chances, of third, of fourth, of fifth, and so on. And so if you come today thinking, I'm not sure God would want to ever use someone like me. Well, take another look at the prophet Jonah and be surprised by grace. Be amazed by grace. God is willing to say, should we go again? (coughs) To you, to me, to City Church in Birmingham, to Magdalen Church in Oxford. That's how good God is to us. And that grace rediscovered changes Jonah's heart and turns his no into a go. 
Having tasted the goodness of God afresh, we read verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. What had changed? Well, the word was the same as I've just suggested. The word's the same. Uh, The Ninevites were the same. The God of the Bible was the same. The only thing that had changed was Jonah. Someone has said that Jonah needed to be broken and melted and moulded and filled with the love of God for the lost before he would be any use to God in this field of service. And time and again, whether it's Elijah, who's just burnt out in 1 Kings chapter 19 and has lost all perspective, or Moses in the burning bush full of self-doubts and insecurity, Peter, who's denied the Lord, or the Apostle Paul, who's overwhelmed by the thorn in his flesh, we discover God's grace triumphs over unbelief. God is at work in you, Christian, when you're getting it right. But what do we learn from Jonah? God is at work in you when you're getting it wrong. Just as much. He's at work in you when you're getting it right. He's at work in you when you're getting it wrong. God is able to take weak and ordinary people and use them in his great service. Now the goodness of God, the graciousness of God to Jonah was not for him alone, was it? It wasn't for his own sake that God saved him from a watery grave. No, the grace of God was for him so that he in turn may declare God's grace to others. And so what we see uh, this morning is that the grace that saves is the grace that sends. And so we read, don't we, that Jonah obeyed God and proclaimed to the Ninevites, verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. When you think about it, it was extraordinarily, extraordinarily brave of Jonah to take a message like that to a people like that. He's entering an enemy country known, as we said first thing yesterday morning, for its brutality and violence. And he's there to warn them of God's coming judgment, 40 more days. Someone has said this about Jonah's action. Jonah was about to enter, unprotected, a city whose inhabitants were preeminently wicked and violent. And he was to threaten them in the name of the Almighty with speedy and complete destruction. It was as going into the lion's den. Nothing but an implicit reliance on the presence the faithfulness, the power and the protection of God could possibly bear him through. But what again is surprising about God's grace in this chapter is not that uh, Jonah goes, but that the Ninevites respond. More remarkable still, isn't it? This book of extraordinary surprises. Verse 5 the Ninevites believed Jonah. Oh no, hang on a minute, have a look again. The Ninevites believed God. They knew who was speaking to them. They didn't just believe Jonah, they believed God because they hear the word of God through the person of Jonah. And so the grace that saves Jonah then sends Jonah. And the grace that sends Jonah now saves the Ninevites. The grace that sends is a grace that saves. And this great 
global city, the capital of the known world at the time, is turned upside down. So as we read through the chapter of 3, you realise that the king repents and urges the people to call urgently on the Lord. The city is transformed as the people gave up their evil ways. And so God relented, we read at the end of the chapter, from sending his judgments on the nation. Now some people uh, find Jonah being swallowed by the whale, the great fish, whatever it is, hard to swallow. And the same kind of commentators have a problem with that at the end of chapter 1, have problems with chapter 3, and the idea that this pagan nation, hostile to God, could possibly be turned upside down by the preaching of just one man. Uh, And they find it uh, implausible and and unbelievable. How about you? Do you think that just one person can turn a nation to God? Do you think that's possible? Let me tell you about another man called Robert Germain Thomas. He was Welsh, yes. But he was also a missionary to China. But he was passionately committed to reaching the people of Korea. Now, back in the 1860s, when uh, Robert Thomas uh, was ministering, uh, well, Korea was a bit like northern Korea is now. It was a closed country. It was known as the Hermit Kingdom. They had seen the influence of the West on China and didn't much like it and effectively closed their borders to the West. Korea wouldn't even trade goods with Britain or the US. But Thomas was not deterred and he felt he must do something. So on September the 13th, 1865, he decided to go to Korea. And he arrived on the coast. And he began to learn what he could about the people and their language. There was no Korean literature for him to hand out. He didn't have any tracts. The only New Testaments that he had were in Chinese. So he handed those out. And he soon had to return to China. Where the following year his wife sadly died. But in 1866, uh, Robert learned that an American boat called the General Sherman was going to try and establish trading relations between Korea and the United States. So he offered to be the interpreter for them on board the boats in exchange for this unique opportunity to try and spread the good news of Jesus. Well, perhaps unsurprisingly, as the ship uh, arrived, it was not welcomed at all by the Koreans. And having got completely stuck in the riverbank, it couldn't move. The Korean governor of the province attacked the ship and and launched what's called a burning boat, uh, a boat that's basically set on fire and launched at the Sherman. It struck the Sherman, and indeed, the General Sherman boat started, uh, it was set alight on fire. It went up in flames, and basically everyone on board that ship had to choose to either swim for shore and to put themselves at the mercy of the Koreans or to face burning to death aboard ship. Well, the sailors only had one choice, really, didn't they? But as they fled from the boats and landed on the shore, the Koreans killed them one by one. And Robert Thomas, the missionary, had to flee with the rest of them. True to his calling and his mission, he leapt from the boat carrying a Bible. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, and cried out to his Korean attackers, and he was killed. 
But one of the attackers involved in that incident kept the Bible. And paper was a valuable resource. And what did he do with the paper? He put it on his walls. Put it on the walls of the home as wallpaper. And people started to come from far and wide to read its words on the walls. And a little church was born. The first in Korea. And it grew as men and women were converted by reading the wallpaper. And a nephew of Thomas's killer became its first pastor. And so from one man, the gospel arrived in Korea. And today, something like 30 to 40% of South Koreans are Christian. From Jonah to Paul to Robert Thomas... Isn't it amazing what the Lord can do through one heart and one life ready to go with the gospel? Maybe a city, maybe a nation can be saved through one man's obedience. Do we believe that? Is it as possible today as it was in Robert Thomas's day or in Jonah's day? See, the reason God sends you on a mission and calls us to go is not merely as a test of our obedience and our commitment. The reason God calls us to go is because God longs to save. He's that kind of a God. Our culture and media like to tell us that the church is in terminal decline. If you read the papers or look on the BBC website or something else, But that actually isn't what I'm seeing in Birmingham. Uh, Through that partnership we have, 2020 Birmingham, we've seen 12 churches established in five and a half years. We meet as as leaders of those plants regularly and we hear stories about people doing Christianity Explored, people being converted, baptisms. And we're, we're excited at what the Lord is doing in our city. And I think a lot of what God is doing in our country really goes unnoticed or unreported by the media. For whatever reason, there actually is signs of growth and life and people being saved. Now in the UK and parts of Europe, I don't think it's in the large numbers that we desperately long to see. But look across the world and it's people being converted in the millions. The growth of the church in China means that it's now the church in China is bigger than the Communist Party. One article I read in The Economist suggested that the church in China is somewhat, although it's difficult to be precise, somewhere between 70 and 100 million people. The Communist Party is slightly smaller than that. In India, Christianity is the fastest growing religion. Operation World estimates that the number of Christians has grown in a decade, that's in 10 years, from 2.5% of the population to just under 6% of the population today in 10 years. The church has doubled in India. In Brazil, in 1960, there were 2 million evangelical Christians. Today, there's an estimated 50 million evangelical Christians. See, do you believe that God is a God of grace and compassion. That God is in the business of saving sinners. 
when we started City Church in Birmingham in 1999, one of the first to come to faith was a young law student who was in his first year at university. He actually came from a pretty dysfunctional background, but it was a wonderful conversion, and God made of him a terrific evangelist. We sat down and worked out together at one point how many hours he'd spent preaching the gospel of Jesus on the streets of Birmingham in the city centre. Much of that time was with the city mission. And worked out that in that 10 years after graduating, he'd spent 3,000 hours proclaiming Jesus in the streets of Birmingham. He now works as a pastor in the black country in Tipton. But, but when he was still with us at City Church, uh, I once interviewed him in a service and I said, what keeps you going? Why do you keep doing it? And his answer I found striking and humbling. He said this, he said, I know that it is inevitable that people will respond. He didn't say, I, I know it's my job, I, I know it's my duty. He said, I know the heart of God for the lost. That God is in the business of saving sinners. It is inevitable that people will respond. He knew what we need to know. That God delights to save sinners. He knew that his God was a God of deep compassion. And he'd experienced that deeply in his own heart. And he'd never forgotten. He'd never lost the wonder of it all. And that kept him going for 3,000 hours in those streets. If God is ready to save a wicked and violent city like Nineveh, why isn't he ready to save your friends and mine? And people on your streets and my streets? The miracle of the book of Jonah is that God's mercy appears to know no limits. And yes, God is the judge of the whole world, does have the right to wipe the city of Nineveh off the map. Justice, you might say, would demand it. And these people, well, they knew it. But Jonah went to his city. Yes, a reluctant prophet, but he went. And we're to go too. Jonah went to his city... <clears throat> The Lord Jesus wept over his city, Jerusalem. And he wept because he knew that unlike Nineveh, they were unwilling to turn to God. Yet he went to the city so that he might go to the cross for all who would one day believe and be saved. Even those first 3,000 believers on the day of Pentecost. And the same eyes that, that wept over that city are the same eyes that look over your city. And the same heart of Jesus that was full of compassion for his city is the same heart that's full of compassion for your city. And Jesus says, go. Well, how do we take the gospel to a city? Well, it's one life at a time, isn't it? The story is told of a, a storm that, that uh, caused hundreds of starfish to be stranded high up on a beach far from the sea. And uh, a young girl is picking up a, a starfish and throwing it back into the sea. And uh, some, some uh, gentleman's walking his dog along the beach and says, I'm not really sure why you're bothering. 
It doesn't really make any difference, does it? And she picks up a starfish, throws it into the sea. Said it made a difference to that one. God has asked us to go. And David Platt writes, God has designed a radically global purpose for your life. And he's given you grace that you might take it to the ends of the earth. But of course you still have to make the gospel the heart and soul of your life. If it's ever going to be the focus of your ministry. Calvin stayed in Geneva. Uh, He stayed in Geneva a few years later. He was banished from the city by those who opposed his gospel and reforming agenda. Uh, He was kicked out. But when that situation had calmed down and Geneva had sort of settled again, uh, there was an opportunity for Calvin to go back to the city. And Calvin wrote uh, from Strasbourg of the, the conflict that was in his heart. He'd, he'd never wanted to be in Geneva, but then God had called him there. Then he'd been removed forcibly, and now he was being asked to go back. What was he going to do? And he wrote of the conflicts that were going on in his life. And he said, if I had any choice, I would rather, to William Farrell, he said, if I had any choice, I would rather do anything than give in to you on this matter. But since I remember that I no longer belong to myself, I offer my heart to God as a sacrifice. And so Calvin returned to Geneva and stayed there for 24 years more years it is hard to say yes to God when he says go because there will always be a cost Calvin was wrestling with that cost and there will be for you to actually go with the gospel to your neighbours and your friends so I want to ask you uh, in your own heart of hearts and maybe if Dan permits that there's enough time for you to just discuss with your neighbours the five points at the end of that section on the handout page if you have that with you this is a a short little blog blog post that I found so extremely helpful at analysing where are my no's and and why am I reluctant to go and the five questions just address different reasons why we struggle with the call to mission and as we read them through you might think oh yeah actually for me it's number two or it's a combination it's sort of four and five or whatever it is just We'll read through them, and I want you to just, in your heart, just to think, which of these are stopping me, and therefore, how do I turn my nose into a go? Here's the first one, and really, this is the heart of the book of Jonah. The compassion question. Do we care that people are dying without faith in Christ? It is grace good news for me, but I don't care, really, about others. Unless... We won't be good news tellers unless our hearts are filled with the compassion and love for people that Jesus had. So do we care that people are dying without faith in Christ? Well, the key thought is we must share, not because we have to, but because we want to. And we must seek the compassion heart of God for ourselves. And then an action point that flows from that is maybe we need to make it more of a habit to remember, like Jonah, just how much grace God has shown to us that will turn our hearts into more compassionate hearts. I don't deserve to be a Christian any more 
than the people that are passing by my house or working alongside me in the office or anything else. So that's question one, the compassion. Two, the culture question. Do we understand why people are saying no to Jesus? Why people are rejecting the gospel, perhaps dismissing it out of hand, almost subconsciously without even thinking about it? Maybe uh, your no to going is because you're not sure what people are thinking and what they might say to you in return and how you take it further and so on. So, do you know what the, the most common objections are to your Christian faith? Can you, can you put your finger on some of the trends in the culture that make it difficult to believe? We've been talking about sexuality a little bit yesterday and saying, well, that's got to be one of them, hasn't it? And are you willing, therefore, to listen well and to help people with their questions and objections by learning some good answers, by buying that book or by maybe even asking, could we as a church think a bit more about this question? I guess the the takeaway from that one is good missionaries know their culture and listen to the people. What, What is it that you think might be going on in people's hearts? You think, I just need to know more to be ready. Three, so from the culture to the content. Do we know what the good news is so that we're able to share it? So we won't be effective good news tellers unless we're clear on what the good news of the gospel actually is. Do we know how to present the gospel in a way that's faithful to the scriptures? Maybe we need to, to practice or to learn some form of gospel outline that if someone were to ask us in just two minutes, well, what is it for you to be a Christian? That you'd have something that you could communicate and say that would be, you know, true to the gospel. Four, the confidence question. Maybe the book of Jonah is about number one and number four, primarily the confidence question. Do we believe that God really saves sinners? I guess the way to to, um, counter our own feelings of inadequacy in evangelism is not by growing growing confidence in ourselves or our persuasive abilities, but a growing confidence that the gospel is powerful to save. You know, remember uh, Robert Thomas, all he did was die with the Bible in his hand. And and God did the rest. I was in a taxi uh, not long ago, and the taxi driver was chatting to me, asking what I was doing. I said, I'm about to give some talks on the university campus about Jesus at the University of Manchester. Sorry, I said, I'm about to give some talks, and he said to me, what on? And there was my decision. You see, in a split second, I had to decide. Am I going to talk about Jesus now? Or am I going to sort of fudge it and say, oh, it's a talk to a student group about da 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 And I said, well, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And he said, I don't believe in God. So I don't believe in God because I saw my father wasting away and die of cancer and I can't believe in a God of love. And then we got going in our conversation. And then I had a a second uh, decision to make in my heart of hearts, because I had a gospel in my bag. And I thought, now I need to make the decision. Am I going to get in the bag and get the gospel so that when the taxi journey comes to an end, I can say, I'm sorry we've only had a few minutes to chat, but could I just leave you with this Luke's Uncover gospel? Um, And maybe it's something you could read for yourself um, as you go. You see those split-second decisions? were made and did I believe that God might have just put me in that taxi for a reason? That this taxi driver, although initially hostile to Christian things, maybe God could have his hand on his life. 
And it was that conviction, why not this guy, that led me to talk about Jesus and then to not only have a gospel in the bag, but to do something useful with it and pull it out and give it to him. See, if we doubt fundamentally God's ability to break into people's lives, if we're really not sure he would and could and might, then we're never going to take risks for him, are we? But if we know we're weak, but God is great, and he has a heart of compassion, maybe we will take a risk. So we need confidence in the power of the gospel, and that will motivate us to share it. The action point, be bold, be ready, just do it. Just do it. I've heard some crazy stories about how people have become Christians. Really crazy stories. One carol service where the guy, instead of reading Matthew chapter 2, which was about the Magi coming uh, to visit Jesus, the guy read Matthew chapter 1, and it was the genealogy. If you ever read Matthew chapter 1, it's the genealogy of Jesus, so and so, the son of so and so and so. And this Chinese student just thought, wow, this Jesus is a historical figure because ancestry is massive in the Chinese culture and mindset. So he said, wow, I didn't realise that we actually know who Jesus' father and and da 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 and that got him going. The guy reading the wrong bit of the Bible <laughs> in the carol service was enough to set that guy on, on a course to faith in Christ. Just do it. Five, the commitment question. Do we believe that God has given us the responsibility of evangelism? Do you believe that God has given this responsibility to you? Because I guess we might say, yes, I believe he's given it to the church, but do you believe he's given it to you? Now, not a responsibility for every human being on the planet, to you, individually, but perhaps, at very least, to your family, to your friends, to your colleagues, to your neighbours, to the taxi driver, to the postman, who, who could it be? Do you believe you've been given an amazing privilege and, and a responsibility to that basically leads you to say, well, if not me, it's probably not going to be anybody else. My wife worked in a company of 80 people where for the 12 years that she was there, to the best of her knowledge, she, she was the only Christian. And so she knew, therefore, if not me, it's probably not going to be anybody else. We won't share the gospel unless we understand the privilege and necessity of evangelism. So look for opportunities and pray for opportunities. So those are the five kind of stoppers, aren't they, there on that, on that little handout? The five questions that say, what is it in my life that's meaning I'm a reluctant goer? Do I lack compassion? Am I like a Jonah? Or is it because I just don't know what people are thinking? I can't... The culture seems to have moved so far away from Christian things. I just don't get what people make of Christianity. Or is it you don't know what to say? Or is it because, as we've just seen, that you don't really understand that that's your responsibility? We're going to stop there. I'm going to pray. And then if Dan says we've got time to just briefly chat to one another and highlight maybe one or two of those five and just talk around them. And you need to go back to your church leaders and say, actually, these were the ones that we talked about. Could you help us with number two or five or three or whatever else? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Father, thank you that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You are so gracious uh, with us even when we are wandering from you.
and you've commissioned us again this morning with the good news of Jesus to go. And Lord, you know our hearts, you know the things that are stopping us, but thank you that we can take great confidence from this chapter that you have compassion and are in the business of saving sinners. Thank you for the explosive growth of the church around the world. Thank you even in our time. uh, Millions of people are turning to the Lord Jesus. And we ask in our heart of hearts, why not our neighbours and friends? And would you change our hearts and stir our hearts to turn us into those who, like Jonah, would go and wait for your results? Amen.